um, let's have a little chat about augmented feedback. This is the, the time that we're spending, you know, with our students and um, how are we giving them feedback there? We're talking here off, off camera, off uh, radio here about, um, you know, how do we provide this and, and if they're standing there and in my one hour lesson for, for my hundred bucks or whatever it is, they want to hear me say something pretty smart. So. Right. In providing this feedback uh, in this day and age, we've got some really cool things and some cool uh, technology that's that's coming up. Um, and not to get brand specific, what can we say about uh, getting feedback from a launch monitor? Okay, let's uh, before we get into too much, let's let's talk about terms here because because it's easy to confuse them. So um, when I talk about internal feedback, that's the the information that we get from our body. Okay, so you can see where the ball went, you can hear the contact between the club and the ball, um, we can feel uh, what happened either through uh, haptic feedback, the uh, interaction with our hands in the club, or uh, kinesthetic proprioceptive feedback through uh, our limbs and body movements right. and muscles. and and these are all internal sources of feedback. And it's important to remember that these internal sources of feedback are the sources that provide information to us at all times. Okay, it's yeah. there with us on the practice range, it's there with us out on the golf course. It's also probably the sources of information that are, are um, most difficult to use. Um, because they're not uh, so informationally rich compared to augmented sources of feedback. So this would be the other type of feedback. So we have internal sources of feedback and augmented sources of feedback. And augmented sources of feedback are those things that come from outside the body. And those include feedback, verbal feedback that you get from instructor, that could be uh, video feedback that you get from taking a, a video of a person that could be um, information that you get off of a launch monitor or uh, it could be feedback that you get from some sort of training device uh, okay and all those sources of feedback are very informationally rich but they're also sources of feedback that are not going to be available to you out on the golf course it's uh, we got a whole multi-million-dollar industry. How we use these things effectively? I think information is great. Uh, we we learn basically from information, um, and all these sources of information, including you, and including launch monitors, are great sources of information. But what we need to do as a golfer is learn from them not learn them, not learn the information itself, but learn from the information. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is we want to use that information to be able to help us interpret our own source of information more clearly, more accurately, and more confidently so that we know just from our, what our body tells us what that information is, rather than having to rely on you or the launch monitor or the 
uh, artificial training device to provide that information. So, so it's, it's using those great sources of information to learn from them uh, to help us better identify our own sources of information. And that's what's going to carry from the driving range out onto the golf course. Right. I think, uh, I don't know if I got it from spending some time with Sean Foley, but I'll give him credit anyway. I, I feel like I got a quote from him as a coach that he was always trying to make himself obsolete. So thanks, Sean. Whether that was you or not, it might have been under your philosophy that you're, you're trying to empower the student to I, I own think their game, right? That's a brilliant quote, I think. Um, if if you, it's not that good for business, though. It's not that good for business. <laughs> you know, another great quote is Jack Nicklaus. Uh, I, I read this somewhere where Jack said that he would get together with his coach, Jack Grout, Grout yeah. once a year, and they would spend an hour talking to, about Jack Nicklaus's game. And he said the first 55 minutes were catching up on family, yeah. you know, and then five minutes would be saying, okay, let's see your grip and your right. swing. And, um, and Nicholas was a, a, a perfect example of someone that owned his own swing mm -hmm. and really only needed grout for those little tweaks that he needed in his, that, where he couldn't supply that information himself, where he right. needed that external source. I, I have a little of an analogy, I call it the dictionary analogy. And and the idea is that you don't need a dictionary for 99.9% .9 of the words that you type or write on a piece of paper. You only need it for that 0.1% where you're not exactly sure whether you're right or not. I used to have trouble with the word, spelling the word rhythm. I could never mm -hmm. figure out how to spell rhythm. And so you know, I'd write it down and that just didn't look right. So you go to the dictionary, okay, that's how to spell it right, okay. But I only went there to the dictionary when I was uncertain about my own source of accuracy of my own source of knowledge. Right. Okay. And it's the same kind of idea. What you want to get the golfer to do is to understand for himself when something is going wrong. You know, and to, to go to the launch monitor, go to the uh, instructor, or go to the guidance device, to get that 0.1% of information that you're not 100% sure about. Okay, I don't know exactly what I'm doing wrong here, so how do I find it out? I go to the instructor, I go to a video, I go to the launch monitor, I go to a guidance device. And you learn from that augmented source of information to help you better understand your own source of information. Can we say then that the direction of learning has to be, needs to come from the fire of the student. The student needs to be asking the question, hey, I need something here. That's right. And I think we do that a good job within the PGA of Canada with some of our coach and instructor training on, on um, engaging the student initially in the lesson, allowing them to explore on their own so yeah. that they stub their toe and then, then you can kind of yeah. guide them down the pathway. Where, where appropriate. Right, yeah. Um, so just going back to, to Sean Foley's comment, I think it's is what what he's saying is that his strive to become obsolete is putting it on the other foot is, is means that his golfer is now becoming self-reliant. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a great quote. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I, lo I love that, that part of him. Um, and, so, and that, that process of... Right. So I think if you're doing a great job as a coach, right, your students are feeling more secure. 
mm-hmm. based on um, their styles of practice, the information they have, their ability to self-correct. And like right. I said, the only thing that you ever have when you're truly under the gun and, and in the test, it's, it's uh, can we say like the internal side you would say would be the, your five senses? Uh, yeah, ish, you, you, yeah. I don't know how much taste is used on the course, but yeah, certainly <laughs> your your internal sense. After a triple bogey, there's some things that I like to taste, especially. <laughs> yes, uh, using your excuse me, your internal sources and being able to use them efficiently and effectively to accurately understand, because golf is, as Bob Rattel says, golf is not a game of perfect. Yeah. Okay, and what you're constantly doing in the course is tweaking. Yeah, and and why do you tweak and how do you tweak? Well, you use information to make tweaks, and where do you get that information from? Well, in the range, you get it from these augmented sources. Out on the course, you get it from these internal sources. So what we want to be able to do is to learn on the range how to use those internal sources as effectively as possible. Right. So That's what the research is showing. The augmented pieces can make it more efficient as long as they relate to, in some way they need to relate to how you're going to also use your internal sources. Right. So it's, it's, it's using the augmented sources to help you learn the internal sources better. Right. Okay. So one of the, uh, there's been a few lines of research um, with augmented feedback and it's as to what's better or worse ways of using augmented feedback. And these can be, can apply to any source of augmented feedback. It can apply to a launch monitor, can apply to providing verbal feedback from an instructor, or how, how, uh, uh, how to use a, a golf guidance device if possible. And one of the sources of feedback, uh, or sources, one of the styles of research has been looking at just simply frequency of feedback. How often do you provide feedback relative to the number of shots that a golfer takes? And and what the research suggests is that um, is that lower frequencies of feedback work better because on those shots where the individual is not receiving information from the launch monitor or the instructor what they're doing is reflecting upon their own source of feedback. And the idea is that if you're, if you're constantly giving that information, you're constantly watching the launch monitor, it tends to block you from doing that reflection on your own feedback. You, you, know, you're so, you won't have access to it when you're on the course. That's right. You're so um, focused on receiving that feedback from the augmented source that you really don't pay any attention to what your body's telling you. Mm. So, in a way, the frequency of feedback is, an, is a barrier to learning your own source of feedback simply because it, it distracts you from, uh, from paying attention to it. There's another line of research that suggests a similar thing, and that is how soon after a shot's been taken that you provide that feedback. We talked a minute ago about the launch monitor. You finish <laughs> taking your shot, and the launch monitor's right there, and you look at it. Okay. Now again, the launch monitor's not is not the problem here. I mean, they're great for providing rich sources of feedback, 
But it's how you use it that determines the effectiveness of them, I think. Yeah. And the research suggests that if maybe if you just turned it the opposite <laughs> way for a minute. Right. Okay, take your shot, reflect on what your internal sources of feedback suggested to you, kind of form an opinion on your own mind of what you think the launch monitor will tell you. Then when you turn the launch monitor around, you'll either be surprised by the results or it'll confirm what your intuition was. Either way, you've learned from that. Opportunity to learn, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to having it right there with you afterwards, in which case you never get a chance or a time period to reflect on what you thought happened or what your what your own source of feedback might have told you. Because it's so immediate, it's so instantaneous that it really prevents you from actually reflecting on your own feedback. Yeah, an immediate shortcut right into right, something right. else's. So it's not the individual, it's not the launch monitor itself that's that's bad. In fact, they're good. Right. It's it's how effective that they're being used. Right. And that can be used more or less effectively. So basically, if I'm in a lesson and I give somebody feedback on every single swing, that's maybe good business for me because I'd have to follow them on a golf course on every single swing. And now my hours per week work, that's great. I could just charge them a million bucks a year just to stay with them on every single golf shot, do all the thinking for them. Hey, um, this is a business model. Business model. Yeah, yes. it's a business model. Yeah, but right. you know what? It's this this um, this is not just a, uh, doesn't pertain only to golf instructors. Uh, as you know, my wife's a physical therapist and uh, professor of physical therapy, and they teach similar ideas in physiotherapy. That you know what the patient will expect of you in a physiotherapy session is not necessarily what you should be giving them, and that. More is not necessarily better. Um, so it's not a situation that's unique to you know, golf instructors. It's uh, an issue that everyone who provides a service uh, in which the individual is trying to learn from that service has to deal with. Yeah, that was on my list of questions was to, to get some reference material for us. And if you have any experience, if we can find some. Um, within other sports, uh, particularly you know, discrete skills, or I don't know how you to term mm -hmm. other sports that are like golf. I, mm -hmm. On my list, I would have things like uh, uh, perhaps like curling or um, tennis, serve in tennis mm -hmm. anyway, field goal kicking, darts is maybe a little bit too specific, but are there other sports like golf where the coaching is similar to ours. I guess baseball pitching is kind of the same because there's mm -hmm. some variability about what the pitcher well, does, but there's a lot of similarities too, like in the golf swing. Mm -hmm. Similarities, even though I might use driver versus seven iron. Is, right. Are people operating at a higher level in other sports than we experience in golf? If we say our golf culture is to have this block practice and get feedback on every single swing, um, right. generally, anyways, it seems to be that way. and, and to be able to change my performance in 30 minutes mm -hmm. and all of a sudden own that. If, if those are kind of counter to the literature, are there other sports in your experience that are pursuing that? Or, or as humans, are we sucked into this and um, no matter the activity we're involved in? Well, the, the research literature that I know the best <clears throat> is the block versus interleave practice 
and there's been a lot of studies done, including different sports, um, baseball, um, darts, uh, shooting, a lot of different discrete types of actions. And I'll give you one study in particular that's exemplary. And I think baseball is actually in more of a rut that golf when it comes to practice. Think about yeah. batting practice. Oh, baby. Think, think about batting practice. You go out there and you have a pitcher throwing, you know, 65 mile an hour straight balls. You know, and you know, not only that, but you know it's going to be a 65 mile an hour straight ball yeah. when it comes. Okay. And how different is that than playing the game? First of all, you know what's coming, you don't know what's coming in the game. It's coming at 65 miles an hour, and Major League Baseball, every pitcher now is throwing over 90. Um, and the ball is coming down the middle of the plate, and no pitcher wants the ball down the middle of the plate ever in a game. And it's coming straight, and no pitcher ever throws straight. Even if it's a fastball, it's got some movement on it. <clears throat> so there's a, a, a culture, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in, in the sport where there never seems to be any change going on. And there was a study done in the mid-90s uh, in California where they took a college baseball team and some of them trained with, uh, the study couldn't have been done a little bit better, but some of them trained with uh, over six weeks of, of standard um, uh, batting practice. Culture. And, and another group trained for six weeks with interleague type of practice. And, and you're just talking about uh, throwing curveballs, fastballs, and change-ups uh, in either an interleaved or a blocked order. And, and afterwards, they did a retention test and a transfer test, and the results were as you'd expect. You know, the random test did much better. What I would like to see in that study is that the actually people that did that actually had better batting averages in games than yeah. <clears throat> but that wasn't done. But there's just an example of another sport where these results have been applied. Uh, very successfully, and yet um, the culture of baseball seems to be stuck on this notion of, okay, I want to groove my swing, I want to make good contact, <clears throat> and I want to feel confident from that going up to the plate. Sorry. And then you're going to try, yeah, it's that false confidence that we have after the, the 10 seminars in a row that somehow we believe, our human <clears throat> intuition is that we believe that's now going to be able to get out into the right. environment that is golf, which right. is like trying to go from 60 to 90 miles an hour. Yeah. It seems silly when you lay it out like that, but... Yeah. Uh, um, I've played uh, senior ball in Dundas with the Chiefs for a number of years and tried to get them <clears throat> to change how we did batting practice. And <laughs> there was so much, so much resistance to doing that, um, that it was just like beating your head against the wall. You would say... Why would I do that? You know, why would I, or they would say this to me, why would I do that when, you know, I know that I can stand up there and hit every ball that's pitched to me, and you're wanting me to do this, and I might miss, you know, I might fail, you know, how that, how's that going to make me better in the game? Uh, and so they really failed to, you know, get the idea behind it, and this performance learning distinction is, is really quite, um, underlies every type of practice that we can do in any type of, not just uh, sport, but as I said, um, in different type of applications, learning, 
uh, police apprehension skills or um, dealing with an individual in a physiotherapy clinic. Can we talk about uh, guidance devices specifically, and it might be uh, redundant here, but because it's very prevalent in sure. our industry, I, I like to call them concept aids, but we quite often would say training aids mm -hmm. in golf, and, and uh, we're speaking about whether it's you know, downstairs, we had that uh, uh, the swing guide, the little yeah. yellow hook on, on yeah. the shaft. Um, you know, for 20 bucks all the way up to a $100,000 machine that's mm -hmm. going to move you about. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think some of the, the best guidance or concept aids can be the, the driveway markers or alignment sticks, as we call them in golf, mm -hmm. as a mild reference in your experience with those. Um, I guess that's the, we're, we're in the same vein. Is like, are we using those to augment our internal sources of feedback? Um, and what have you seen in golf that were maybe right off the off the board, um, or maybe some applications where it can be helpful? Well, like the other source of feedback, augmented feedback, they're a great opportunity to learn something that's not intuitive to you. Um, you um, and they can be. Anything from uh, uh, something that, as you said, it, it's completely inexpensive to something that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. But they're a way of providing something that's knowable that you don't um, understand before. Uh, so it's an opportunity to learn from them. Um, and there are different types of guidance devices. Some uh, constrain you. Uh, to move in a certain way, so don't provide an opportunity to learn or to move in any other way. Right. Like a, a robot, or you can also have some that strap you in, yeah. you know, and keep your arms together in a certain way. Those types of, of guidance devices are, are constraint type of devices. Other guidance devices um, or artificial aids um, will work in a different way. For example, there's one that. Um, is a hinged one that breaks down if you swing incorrectly. Right. And that's kind of a, a different type of artificial device in that um, it doesn't constrain you to move in a certain way, but rather provides you with error information if you don't move in the way that it's supposed to, to move. Um, and they all work in the same kind of way in that they provide you the opportunity to understand something wasn't understandable before yet in a way that's that's uh, perhaps um, different than providing verbal information from instructor or uh, verbal information from a launch monitor or video information from uh, feedback or from a video mm -hmm. it's it's more of a, a proprioceptive or kinesthetic type of information that's being provided such that you're feeling it um, but again what I get back to is, what is it, what is it telling you about your internal source of feedback, and how can you learn from that to better interpret your internal source of feedback when that device is no longer there? So the question becomes, what's the most effective way of using it? And I have no doubt that all these artificial devices, or most of them, are beneficial to a degree, but 
getting the most out of them really is in how you use them or how often you use them. Right. Um, we talked earlier about delaying feedback. Most of these don't allow for delay or feedback. They're instantaneous. Right. So, so um, we know that instantaneous augmented feedback is not particularly beneficial for long-term learning. And since these are immediate, then maybe we should focus on how often to use them. That's what I like to call them a concept aid. If you use that, um, yeah, the, the device that where the brakes in the shaft, right. Um, right. you know, if that helps a student understand uh, a concept about rightly or wrongly, that's how we're going to move the car. Right. Use that one or two times to say, okay, this is roughly what, what's supposed to happen, but then they need to get right back into their own club in an environment where they're going to play. Exactly. Kind of bounce back and forth. So they get the concept, but it's not, that's why I like to use the term that it's concept and not right. actual training. Right. Training implies to me that you're you're doing real right. golf type swings. Right. So um, how often you use them and, um, and the manner in which you use them really becomes uh, an important issue in terms of efficiency. I mean, I think that they're easy. They would be easy to overuse, and in which case you're probably wasting your time with them. Right. Um, and uh, and I like to say that uh, practice is is like a zero sum game. You know, for every minute that you're doing something that's not effective, you're doing another minute. You're wasting a minute that you could be doing something that's effective. So you're actually wasting two minutes. Right. Um, so it's um, so you really have to make the most out of out of these opportunities to learn, but with a, what's the objective of what you, you're using them for? And that's to help you um, in the long run. Get back and take ownership of, take your, ownership own game, of your, own. your own game and what, what yeah. you're gonna have access to um, when it matters. That's right. When you're on the golf course. That's right. Um, you see uh, PJ professionals that you know, have the coaches with them at tournaments, and you you wonder how um, how much ownership they have in their own games, and how much they are relying upon their instructors to really you know put the band-aids on to, to perform in this particular round. Um, now, PJ, this is an interesting question, and one I got for you. PGA players all have caddies. How much uh, learning does caddy go through when a player is interacting with a coach? Because there's, a, you know, I, I say, I say, you and I, when I play on the golf course, I'm not sure. You maybe you have your own caddy, but when I play, I got nobody with me. You know, so I have to be able to. If I'm, something's going wrong, I have to figure it out for myself. It's just you and the voices in your head, right? That's right. But, but with with uh, but the rules of golf allow for caddies, so there you have a an, another pair of eyes that could help you. And I wonder, are they being used effectively? Right. You know, shouldn't they be going through the same type of training um, or a different type of training to help their player by understanding when they could provide feedback? I think, uh, well, a good example, Jason Day's caddy has been his longtime coach right. and mentor as well. So that's right. an interesting case study on, yeah. um, obviously, tons of variables involved, but Jason's right. had success um, 
certainly at a young age and, and at the top of the world there for a little bit in the summer. And I would imagine he continues to have success. And, and uh, he's got his coach right on his bag where mm-hmm. Jack Nicholas saw Jack Grout once a right. year and his, and his coach, right. um, you know, maybe they called each other on their birthdays. And so that might be the other extreme. If we're looking at uh, lots of other sports, and now in team sports certainly it'd be, it'd be different, but you know, if I'm sitting there on the bench for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Babcock was there with me at practice, and he's also there mm-hmm. with me in games. And right. How much feedback happens in that case? And then there, there are assistant coaches that might be specific mm-hmm. to the power play or mm-hmm. defensive scheme or what, what the case may be. Um, I think in golf we try to do more of that, certainly with some of our junior programming, is to say, mm-hmm. hey, listen, if I don't see how the athlete's performing on the golf course, how are we supposed to provide any kind of feedback this augmented feedback that the, the athlete a lot of times is a younger athlete or younger or older, just less experienced in a competitive situation. They don't even realize that they, you know, their heart rate was way up and look how fast they hit that mm-hmm. shot. And that mm-hmm. would be a great opportunity to provide that feedback right. that they're not going to have access to right. as, a, as a new competitor. Right. Um, and I think in Jason's case and a lot of other cases, it would be cool to have your caddy now that, involves some different human connections too. Right. if you're going to spend that much time right. intimately with somebody and right. um, at that level making that much money and, and mm-hmm. the amount of pressure and everything that's involved. Mm-hmm. I think there's a huge advantage that the coach is with the athlete on the golf course, but then certainly, you know, while they're playing around the golf, mm-hmm. um, managing how much feedback or what the discussion is uh, uh, with respect to what's going on around and making sure that the player has... Right, pretty much full control of what's going on, and just uses them. I think Phil Mickelson and, and Bones, his caddy, mm-hmm. um, they seem to do a lot of discussion on putting mm-hmm. um, right. or shots in general. Right. Ultimately, I think Phil takes ownership for everything, but mm-hmm. they seem to have had a long-term relationship that is good socially, so that they can continue to work right. together professionally. Right. Um, they seem to use each other quite well, and and. Again, too many variables to know, but Phil's had a lot of success in his career, mm-hmm. and it's not just because he had a chipping green in his backyard as a kid. He's got a great caddy mm-hmm. that helps him walk him through right. some of the some of the encore stuff. So, uh, just um, purely unscientifically, I'll just give you my my own reflection. I'm a I'm a three handicap, so I you know, play okay, um, and I think for my own game, the thing that I've become, for want of a better word, good at, is being able to turn around around when it's going south. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I've, I've, I've learned my own swing. I've learned uh, when things are going wrong, usually why they're going wrong. And you know, once I understand that something needs to be attended to, I can usually understand, you know, try to understand it and get it fixed, you know, whether it's ball flight or, or tempo or, or what have you. Right. Um, and I, if, if there's anything that I think that I've proved on, improved on in my own game over the last 10, 15 years, it's that ability to, to write the ship. And I think that has a lot to do with, um, with how I practice and how I use information feedback. This might be the biggest nugget of gold then too, and I, and I always say to folks when when I say that I like the fact that I that I know you and have you as a resource, and we're pretty fortunate I think in the PGA 
um, well, globally and certainly here in Canada, is that we have not only somebody that's an expert on skill development and, and motor learning, but is also a three handicap golfer, mm -hmm. so can relate to the learning process in golf. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're happy to be able to take advantage of that. Um, and I think that's a perfect comment because one of the questions I had, and, and I wouldn't say exclusively every student, but it's got to be the vast majority, the biggest comment when I say, well, what's our goal here? What are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. That's where we would start. You're hiring me, you're going to mm -hmm. pay me some money. Mm -hmm. What can I do for you? Right. Well, I just want to be more consistent. Right. You know, right. because I'm dealing with fairly avid golfers. There's beginner golfers too. Maybe that's mm -hmm. a, a person that doesn't want to be more consistent. But even a beginner golfer. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I've been to the range and I can hit a couple good ones. Then I get out there, I'm on the range, and I just have no clue. And I mm -hmm. hit these terrible shots. And it does drive me nuts. I think we can all relate in golf. Mm -hmm. When the train gets off the tracks, how do we get it back? Right. Um, so that, to me, might be one, one of the most important things. And if, and if we can take that as a nugget of gold, is how do you get more consistent? Right. It's not by 100 seminars in a row. Right. But it's learning to handle the variability mm -hmm. and um, fluctuations, not just in the environment, the golf course itself, and the different wind. We had a windy day out here mm -hmm. today in the rain, mm -hmm. but the human changes in your yeah. mental, your emotional, yeah. your physical state, whether you had a hot right. dog at the turn or you ate a nice banana or whatever yeah. it takes to fuel you up. Yeah. There's there's so much variability and being able to appreciate that and roll with it right. uh, keeps your scores more consistent, mm -hmm. perhaps, I suppose, or more understandable. Mm -hmm. I think it was Hogan that said that, you know, in a good round of golf, he probably only hit one or two shots that he would consider perfect. Right. You know, so even someone at that level is always looking at trying to improve the next shot you know so you're always looking to tinker yes out in the course even if you're playing at a level that Hogan's playing at so just imagine the regular player out there slogging away lots of room to tinker <laughs> yeah and to be able to to at least have a, some sort of appreciation of you know something that's consistently going wrong and be able to correct that would be a huge advantage. Recognizing their patterns and being able to exactly learn from it based on their internal feedback. And right. And then when they do go practice, uh, do it in such a way that they can continue to layer up those bricks of learning right. as opposed to just having to restart the foundation every single time. Right. right. So I guess that really gets back to um, you know, one of the questions that you asked early on. What's the what's the goal of practice? Or what's what are you trying to learn when you step out on a practice team, and um, and I think that could lead into a whole other segment we could talk about, and that is specificity of practice. Really, it's kind of just the umbrella that kind of pulls all this stuff together.